Welcome to IEEE Tech Talk, Innovation at Work. I'm your host, Allison, with IEEE Educational Activities, and today we're talking with Jacqueline Adams, CEO and founder of Rustol, an engineering consulting company. Jacqueline has a Bachelor of Science in Computer Engineering from Case Western Reserve University and served as a Peace Corps volunteer teaching math in Swahili. She is an IEEE senior member and writes a column on leadership development for IEEE USA Insight. In 2015, Jacqueline was recognized in Crane's Cleveland Business 40 Under 40 in part for her work on the Girl Scouts of Northeast Ohio Board of Directors advocating for female empowerment. Currently, she serves on the Colorado Science and Engineering Fair Board of Directors promoting STEM education to pre-university students. Welcome, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me, Allison. Going to the early days, was there a particular moment, perhaps in your childhood, when you knew you wanted to become an engineer? And what motivated you to study computer engineering as opposed to other disciplines? I always loved my math and science classes, and that just came easier for me. That being said, I was really scared by anything technical or any new computer coming out or new program coming out. But I realized this was the way of the future. So instead of avoiding it, I just threw myself completely into it. And that's when I knew I needed to become an engineer and a computer engineer at that. These days, many people are interested in starting their own companies. How did you make the transition from the corporate world to starting your own consulting business? So I was thrown into this world in a random way. A company reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, if you start your own consulting company, we'll hire you full time. And so I had been planning on starting a company at some point in time, but all of a sudden I was thrown into this crazy world of business where I was working full time for a client while creating my business's website, creating my logo, creating the branding, learning how to run a company, finding somebody to do my taxes, all that fun stuff off to the side. Sounds like a lot to handle at once. If there's one piece of advice you could give other engineers interested in starting their own companies, what would it be? I think there are a lot of good online learning options to find out about what it takes to run a company. I think there's a lot of great engineering, entrepreneurial communities about running your own small business. So I would tap into those resources because without that help, it's a lot to do on your own. But there's other people going through this. The accessibility of these groups, this learning is better now than it has ever been. So I'd really tap into that. Speaking of online learning opportunities, what other kinds of courses or topics would you recommend that young professionals look into if they're interested in leveling up their career? whether it be with a more traditional company or for their own business. The great thing now is that there's such a plethora of materials available. There's so many different platforms. I know IEEE has gone online now with its ILN with over 800 courses available. I would do everything. I would go with, you know, the technical skills. I would go with the core skills of management, leadership, business development. Again, there's tons of options out there. During your time in college studying engineering, what were some of your most challenging courses? So I realized I don't do well in a traditional classroom setup. Uh, when you're sitting in the class and you're supposed to take notes 
as the professor or the instructor is lecturing, I very quickly disengage. Actually, for a long time, I thought I was just a horrible student and a slow learner uh, just because I, I, I don't do well in that environment. Now, part of the reason why I became a corporate engineering instructor is because I learned that I'm not the only one in that situation, that a lot of people are more tactile learners, hands-on learners. They like the student-focused learning. And so the good news is, I think that's the direction a lot of our learning is going, whether it's instructor-led learning or whether it's this online training modules. I think we are really moving away from that lecture-focused presentation style to or more hands-on to a more modular focus, dividing up topics into very small sections so you can understand the specific style of learning that a lot of us can more easily relate to. When you were teaching with the Peace Corps, were you able to apply some of those principles of hands-on learning to more abstract concepts like math? And then on top of that, you weren't teaching in English, but in Swahili. Were you able to use the language barrier to your advantage by showing them how to work out the problems rather than talking at them? Unfortunately not. I would love to answer the question and say, yes, I was able to do that. I will say when I was teaching, I started out teaching in English, which was their third language. That's why I moved to Swahili, which was their second language. I was teaching 90 students in a classroom at a time. Um, that classroom did not have air conditioning. And so it, it was a very difficult learning environment. We didn't have seat for all of the students, let alone books for all of the students. And so I worked with the resources that were available in those classrooms. And the students were very diligent and very dedicated to their studies. I will say that that experience changed my perspective because when I came back to the U.S., and I started teaching in the corporate classrooms, it was at that point in time I realized how many different resources were available to me, how much creativity I could use in the classroom. And so I leveraged my Peace Corps experience to be a more dynamic instructor when I returned to the U.S. and became a corporate trainer of engineers. Can you speak a little to how your experience teaching with the Peace Corps shaped your style and outlook as a corporate trainer? Yeah, great question. One thing that I took from my Peace Corps experience of teaching high school math and Swahili is that for the first nine months, for the first almost year that I was teaching, I was still teaching this in English. Now, my students, their first language was a tribal language. They either spoke Kibena or Kihehe. And their second language was Swahili. And English was their third language. So this was an extremely challenging environment for them, especially at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon when it's 90-plus degrees in this classroom. They're sharing a chair with their neighbor. It was a very challenging environment. As a trainer, as a teacher, one day I could make this a little bit easier for my students by switching over from English, their third language, to Swahili, their second language. So one class, I just started teaching pre-algebra in Swahili, and it was an immediate hit with the students. 
Because again, when you have 90 students, you have different levels of competency, not only on mathematics, but also on their language skills. And so the students responded to this very well. They were very enthusiastic. Some of them were hooting a little bit, and then we continued on with the lesson. And after I continued to speak in Swahili, because I needed to meet them where they were at. And that's something that I think we need to do as a training industry overall. We all have our own learning objectives, our key topics, but sometimes I think we lose sight of where our students are at. At the engineering corporations I work with, I have students from all different backgrounds. These are qualified technicians. These are are mechanics. There we go. These are people who have worked in the auto industry for years. And I have to, as someone putting together their curriculums and somebody who was previously a trainer, be mindful of the knowledge they already have, but also what the combined knowledge is of all of the students so that I can be aware of how I need to reframe myself in front of that particular class for that lesson. As a corporate trainer, is there a topic that you enjoy teaching about the most? I traveled around the U.S. teaching communication and customer relationship skills to technicians. And that was a very intriguing class uh, because whenever you're dealing with what I call skills, but a lot of people refer to as these soft skills or these core skills, a lot of times engineers and technicians really undervalue the skill set. They say, well, as long as I'm good at the technical side of my job, it really doesn't matter if, if I talk pretty. It doesn't matter how I express myself. At the end of the day, people just care if the machines are up and running. And time after time, that's been proven it's not true. A lot of people do care about the relationship they have and whether they trust the person that's working on their equipment. So it was interesting starting out these courses, facing a room full of technicians and engineers who, by the way, didn't always know that I was an engineer. So at first they would question uh, whether I would understand the technicalities of the job. So sometimes it was stating my qualifications and letting them know, yes, I have that technical background as well, but this is why it's so important that we are able to interface well with the customers. This is why the relationships are important. This is why it's good for you to be able to advocate why you need to do maintenance on the equipment four times a year instead of waiting till it's been broken and having that MRI, having that surgical light be down for half a day unexpectedly. So that was an extremely challenging but very rewarding class to teach. On that note, if there's a technician who really wants to improve his or her communication skills and customer persona, but their company isn't offering any sort of sponsored or formal classes, what are some steps they can take to start improving their skill set? There's plenty of blogs out there available for this. There's podcasts available. Again, the great thing is we live in a time where it's easier to empower yourself and create your own learning trajectory than it ever has been in the past. So whether it's a podcast, whether it's articles on Innovation at Work, IEEE's site, I would start being proactive in creating my own learning pathway. So this is a few questions wrapped in one. 
but a topic that seems to keep popping up in the training industry as well as the human resources and talent acquisition fields is what really constitutes as a soft skill. Is that the proper term to use or does it downplay the importance of those abilities? I think part of the problem with calling it a soft skill is that we think soft skills are soft. We think of them as easy. We think of them as non-technical, the fluff side. It's the connotation that comes along with soft skills that I think makes us undervalue what these skills actually are. There was a study done by Google. Uh, Google did an analysis of its employees and the top like nine or 10 skills uh, that the managers reported that they wanted from their employees were all considered the soft skill side. Oh, right. Project Oxygen. We'll add a link to the study in the description for those of you listening who want to hear more about that. Is there a term that you prefer? Something like professional development skills, or is that too long and not as catchy? I think the learning and development industry overall is moving away from the term soft skills. I've heard it referred to as core skill. I've also heard people take off the soft skill, take off the hard skill, and just refer to them as skills overall, so not needing to clarify. That would be a very interesting development if removing that layer of categorization became widespread. I think oftentimes people value technical skills so much more and it can take on this mentality of, I took a language arts class back in high school, I'll be fine. But there is a little more to it than that. Right, and I'm hoping as an industry, I think there is something in us engineers and undervaluing that where we focus so hard on the technical side. We really, in some ways, want to emphasize the need for the technical competencies because I think there's a possibility we're not known for being good in presenting. We're not known for being good at communicating. So I think part of this is us undermining or undervaluing those skills which don't come easy to us naturally. And so I think we're moving to an area where we're challenging ourselves more to branch out into this capacity. And I think that's going to be extremely important as we move into the future. I agree. It does seem to give some people the freedom to fall back on that stereotype of, I have so much technical knowledge that I'm not supposed to be this really compelling speaker or someone who's great at networking events. That's not my role. And I'd imagine selling yourself short in that way would be especially detrimental to starting your own engineering business if you're the one that has to go out and find clients. You really do have to be able to communicate effectively to the client or potential client and, in essence, sell yourself and your skills rather than being more behind the scenes, or in this case, behind the computer screen. I think you're absolutely right here, Allison. I think by undervaluing these skills, we're putting ourselves in a a small box. And it's a box we're very comfortable being in because you can hand me an 800-page manual on how a system operates, and I will be able to make it through that. But that doesn't necessarily help me speak to the client on how that system operates. So I think this is an era where we challenge ourselves and we actually get out of that box and we practice these skills uh, so that we will be able to grow our businesses. So I touched on it briefly earlier, networking for engineers. I know you're a big supporter of networking and mentoring. 
How important is professional networking for engineers and how has it benefited your career? Yeah, I actually just hosted a webinar with IEEE about the benefits of networking and how you can leverage networking to create a community of mentors. I have mentors from all different backgrounds, from industry to diplomacy to people who are HR executives. And I tap into that network of mentors regularly when I'm running my company based on the diverse challenges that come up with clients or with my subcontractors or with the different projects that I am finishing. And so I would have never met those mentors if I hadn't put myself out there. And that's by going to industry events, going to conferences, going to different business networking events, award ceremonies, et cetera, and interacting and engaging with people, not only people in my own industry, but like I'm mentioning, people outside of my industry and following up on those connections. If someone has just started a business and is looking for a mentor who comes from a similar field or background, but maybe just a few years further along in their entrepreneurial journey, are there any specific groups you know of that cater toward engineering professionals starting their own businesses? Uh, I think IEEE has some kind of entrepreneurial group, but to be honest, aside from that, I have just been a part of multiple entrepreneurial groups overall. I've just been part of several business networking organizations, and you can look those up under meetups. You can tap into your local chamber of commerce. You can reach out to SCORE in your city or community. So those are the routes that I've taken. So it sounds like you were kind of thrown into the consultancy world. If you hadn't specifically been asked to start your own company, would you have kept one foot in both worlds for a while, splitting your time between your corporate job and working on your own business in your free time? And is that something you'd recommend to someone currently working as an engineer who is interested in starting their own business? Or is it something where you just have to make the move and don't look back? Um, Yeah, I would definitely recommend starting this out as a side hustle. I think to a certain extent, you reach a point where you have to throw yourself into it. But I think doing that from the very beginning is daunting and unnecessary. So I think doing it as a side hustle, getting yourself started up with a website and some branding and a logo makes a lot of sense. And also, you know, trying to see how you're going to get that first client, that second client, trying to see how you're going to promote your business's services. You can do all of this while having a full-time job so you don't lose that stability. Because when you start running your own company, again, all of the risk is on your shoulders. It's very different from having a full-time job where if you lose that job, you lose your source of income. With running your own company, you can actually rack up charges and go into the negative based on how much you invest in yourself. So it's much easier to grow it over time and learn from your mistakes. Now, like I said, at a certain point, you might decide, okay, it's time to switch over and jump completely into this. That's fine too. But I would start out a little bit more slowly Because there is a high rate of failure with small businesses in the first year and then another one within the first five years. So it's something that's good to be very aware of. 
what do you enjoy most about running your own business? And then what would you say is a challenging aspect that you're currently working to improve? My favorite part about running my own business is I do love my independence. I love being able to meet with other business owners. We've picked (laughs) what we do as a job. We get to live our passions and we get to decide how we divide up our time. So it's an extreme privilege to be able to have that kind of lifestyle, that kind of career choice. So I'm grateful for that every single day. Part of the challenge of this is deciding what I am going to focus my time and energy on every single day, because you don't, you know, you don't cut this off at the end of the day. I do think about what I do with my business in the evenings and on weekends. And that was very different than when I was working at a corporate job. When I was working at a corporate job, I was able to cut it off at the end of the day. And in my spare time, I was running a nonprofit. I think that kind of says what that environment was like, having those two things going on at the same time. And now I've transitioned into just running a business full time. So it's very, very different how involved it is. It's hard to shut it off. You're listening to IEEE Tech Talk Innovation at Work, a podcast hosted by IEEE Educational Activities. We want to help you improve your skills. Have you heard about the IEEE Learning Network or the ILN? Offering continuing education content from across IEEE, the ILN is an online platform with hundreds of courses on core and emerging technologies, leadership skills, and more. It launched a few months ago, so definitely check it out if you haven't already. Plus, we have a special offer. When you subscribe at innovationatwork.ieee.org slash techtalk, we'll send you a discount code that you can use to purchase select courses. Just click on the link in the description. And now back to the interview. So technology seems to be moving at an ever faster pace. Even from a consumer perspective, it's hard to keep up. You know, what model iPhone are they on again? 11 or 11 something? So imagining it from the technical professional side, actually creating these products and making sure everything works, I would think reskilling would be incredibly important. How has this landscape impacted continuing education? Allison, I think you're correct that in this world of ever-changing technology, this continuous reskilling of the workforce is incredibly important. If you want to stay relevant in today's world, you're going to need to be up to speed on the latest programs being used, on the latest products, on the latest services. And this is in all careers. So I think in the past, continuous learning was more of an option. You did that if you wanted to go to the next level from being a technician to being a manager, you'd need to learn a different skill set. But now, even when you're staying in the same role, you're having new versions of the software coming out every single year or more than one time in a year. So yes, to stay relevant, whether you're changing roles or staying in the same role, you need to reskill. You need to take on these courses in some capacity, whether that's online, in person, through a podcast, you need to bring in this information in order to be able to perform your job. Is there a particular area that you're interested in reskilling in at the moment? Business development and company growth. I'm doing some training on leadership capacities, communicating 
see. I feel like there's a couple of technical courses I've taken recently. I always stay up to date on what's going on in the field of learning and development and trends within the learning industry overall. When a company reaches out to you, who is often the person making that connection? Do you ever have cases where an individual looking to reskill contacts you to bring you to their company? Or is it generally from someone higher up looking to keep their team up to date? Usually it is somebody from an executive team that recognizes either that there's a high turnover of their technical staff, because at this point, a lot of employees themselves are requesting this continuous development. So this is a way to engage engineering staff and decrease the technical turnover. It's a lot cheaper to have better quality technical learning and better engagement than it is to attempt to recruit and train a new employee, not to mention the downsides of having a more inexperienced staff and what that does to customer response time and the level of service a customer gets. So usually this is an issue that is identified by the executive team and they reach out in order to improve this aspect of training so that they can maintain first their employees, but then also their customers. For someone who wants to get ahead of the game and improve their skills, would you recommend that they speak to their managers to see if there are any opportunities for continuing education through the company? And if so, how should they go about having that conversation? Absolutely. I think that shows great initiative on the employee side to advocate for him or herself and to show that they want to be a a better, more engaged employee. So I think bringing this to your manager's attention, whether that's in an employee review or any time of the year. I would also recommend back when I was in corporate America, I did skip level meetings. So I would specifically request a meeting with my manager's manager or somebody that was a director or an executive, not necessarily in my own department and have those conversations with that person. I'd make sure that I was very open with my direct manager about the topics of that conversation. But I think that's a good way to form solid relationships and also to advocate for the needs of the department and open up those communication lines. So I really need to find a more accurate name for this, but now we'll go into our rapid fire round. Ready? Yeah. Favorite hobby? Hiking. Mountains. (laughs) Last book you read? Gosh, writing white papers. How boring am I? Important, but probably not the most fun read. Last place you traveled? Uh, Bosnia. Three things you'd bring with you on a deserted island? People always ask this. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. Okay, maybe something you'd bring with you from a non-survival perspective then, like entertainment. You'd still be stuck on the island, but it's probably a little more fun to think about. Okay. My iPhone filled with all the latest podcasts. Um, Actually, my iPhone with my Spotify (laughs) fully loaded with all my channels. Mostly my iPhone, I guess. So, Three qualities that got you to where you are today. Uh, My scrappiness, uh, my tenacity, and my outgoing personality.
best advice you ever received? One of my favorite pieces of advice is don't just be interesting, be interested. I like that. Okay, good. Who gave that to you? Uh, one of my good friends, Ty, did. Change you'd like to see in your industry? I'd like to see everyone. <laughs> in, my, in my industry as an engineer or my industry as far as learning and development? Either one or you could pick one for each. Okay. With respect to learning and development, I think there's still a lot of bad training out there. And I think people are so used to training being awful and something not to look forward to, which is really, really horrible because that's what we need to get to the next level. So I think better quality training that engages with the audience where they're at and where they need to be. What do you enjoy most about engineering? I like having my world explained based on the way my mind works. I like breaking things down to the most common basic components and building it up all together to see how it works. And what you enjoy least? Engineering snubbery. <laughs> I like talking above people. My college, I had some people introduce themselves to me instead of asking, like, along with asking where I'm from, they would ask me my ACT or SAT score. We really, oh gosh. I know, and, and, and I went up to a straight up, and Pace Western is a very, very good engineering college, but it's like, I think we're so used to lacking on that social relationships that we go out of our way to prove ourselves. And I just really hope that we're getting past that point. We don't need that anymore the way that we used to. Yeah, hopefully we're maturing as an industry. <laughs> Everyone relies on technology so much these days that you can't really be like, oh, just an engineer or they just do technical support. Well, if you want your computer to work and your phone to work and all of these things you rely on, even your car sometimes, it's all keyless entry. <laughs> And the people that we're looking up to, thankfully, we do have some great, you know, rock stars of the engineering world, whether and, and however you feel about them. But Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, you know, Elon Musk, I know different people have different opinions, but we really do have engineers and technicians we're looking up to as a society more so than we've ever had in the past. So I do think that normalizes our industry and promotes it so much more uh, than it used to be. What has been your greatest success so far? I helped run a nonprofit in Kenya for three years, empowering girls who had run away from home to escape forced child marriage and getting them an education so that they could pursue their own lives. And that was extremely rewarding. The challenge that keeps you up at night. All the work that I do in engineering and engineering training is in order to create learning environments where people are promoted based on their skills, based on their abilities, and based on their willingness to take on new information. I think we as a society are better when not just those who happen to do well in a traditional learning environment rise to the top, but when people with the best skills the best competencies rise to the top, regardless of their background, regardless of their gender, regardless of any of these other superficial criteria. And so creating learning environments where people can thrive is extremely important to me. 
one thing about you that would surprise most people? Usually it's that I'm fluent in Swahili. Um, oh, I came from a small town that's actually called Hicksville, Ohio. <laughs> That'd definitely be a memorable way to introduce yourself at your university. You could slip it in right after your ACT score. <laughs> yeah, right? The person that you'd most like to meet. Let's go Nelson Mandela. So if you could go back in time and personally witness the creation of any invention, what would it be? Oh my gosh. Uh, the first smartphone. So not too far back in time then. If you hadn't gone into engineering, what would you be doing right now career-wise? Um, well, for me, I'm from a small town, and so engineering opened up a whole, the whole world to me. I would probably be a wife and a mom if it wasn't for engineering. And I think that can be an extremely rewarding life and lifestyle, but it wasn't necessarily for me. So I'm grateful that my engineering career has allowed me to travel to 20 different countries and learn a different language and to continue on with my travels and adventures. And finally, our last question, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to aspiring engineers? Don't give up. I almost left engineering my junior year of college. It was right after 9-11. I was thinking about dropping out and joining the military. And even though that is an extremely worthy cause and career pathway, I think I was just doing it because I didn't know if I was going to be a good engineer. So I was doing it out of a place of fear. I'm glad I stuck with it. And I'm glad that I took what I learned from the classroom and now apply it to corporate training classrooms. Thanks for joining us today, Jacqueline. If anyone wants to follow you online, where should they go? You can find me on LinkedIn at Jacqueline Adams. Great. We'll link that along with your other social media accounts in the description. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for having me, Allison. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to IEEE Tech Talk, Innovation at Work. Never miss an episode. Subscribe at innovationatwork.ieee.org slash tech talk. Don't forget, we have a special offer for those of you listening before January 31st, 2020. When you subscribe, we'll email you a discount code eligible for a few select courses, one of which is IEEE English for Engineering Speaking Introductory Level. Improve your verbal communication skills with this course from IEEE and Cambridge University Press. We'll also send you information on the free webinars we hosted earlier this year in case you'd like to check out the on-demand recordings. Thanks again for listening, and let us know who you think we should interview next by leaving a review or comment. Bye!